You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Thanks, Caleb. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, thank you. Merry Christmas. Good, good time to celebrate uh, Christmas, isn't it? It's wonderful to be together. And um, if you're new here, I especially want to thank you for being here and hope get a chance to meet you at the end of the service. But thanks for coming and spending some of the season uh, with us as we celebrate today. It's really our joy to have each of you with us, especially the new folks. Well, today, this is what I'm going to be talking about, God with us. And we're going to see how God with us is part of the Christmas story, how it's embedded in the text uh, that records the Christmas story in, in the Gospel of Matthew. But before we jump into that, uh, I want to tell you about someone I read about this week. Uh, her name is Ellen Baxter. Ellen Baxter was a psychology student in the 1970s, and she wanted to understand how, uh, how we treated uh, mentally ill. And so she faked a uh, sort of psychiatric event and got uh, admitted, uh, committed to a ward, a psychiatric ward, all fake, uh, so that she could see how patients were treated and her conclusion was, having been there, was that we must do better than this uh, in terms of uh, the humanity, honoring and dignifying the humanity of people who suffer with uh, profound mental illness. And so here's what happened. I'm going to read you some excerpts from the blog I read. Ellen Baxter began to research, and her research through old medical journals and psychology articles led her to a modest village in Belgium named Giel. I think it's pronounced like Giel or something, but I'm just going to say Giel. So uh, if you're from Belgium, please give me some grace here. I don't know quite how to say it. So she studied this village in Giel, and according to the journals she read, Giel had the highest success rate of recovery for the mentally ill in all the world. Beginning in the 8th century, Giel had become a pilgrimage destination for the mentally ill. Five centuries later, starting in the 13th century, the residents of Giel began boarding those pilgrims into their homes. Giel became a place where everyday people, farmers, bartenders, blacksmiths, ordinary people, welcomed the mentally ill into their homes, no questions asked, just as they were no matter the risks. Welcomed them just like you would a beloved aunt or a beloved uncle. By the 19th century, this practice of hospitality earned Giel the nickname, quote, paradise for the insane. By 1930, over a quarter of all residents in Giel were mentally ill, about 12,000 people. According to Ellen Baxter, the average length of stay for a guest with a host family, and notice they're called guests, not patients, the average length of stay for a guest with a family is 28 and a half years. According to Ellen Baxter, this was key to the change in people's lives. She describes going from house to house in Giel, interviewing foster families and asking the same questions and always getting the same answers. Do you find it to be a burden? 
No. Do you find it tiring? No. Do you find it painful? It's just life, the bus driver told her. Over and over again, Baxter says, I heard the same response from host foster families. Host families would shrug their shoulders and reply that crazy is just part of normal life. But Ellen Baxter says she still didn't understand why the villagers of Giel were so successful at rehabilitating guests, more successful than modern medicine. And these are people with serious mental illnesses. She didn't understand what made it all work until she met someone that she calls the Buttons Guy. The Buttons Guy was a middle-aged man, a boarder, who every single day would twist off all the buttons off his shirt, nervously twirling them off slowly every single day. And every single night, every single night, his host foster mother would sew all the buttons back on to the button guy's shirt. What a waste of time, Ellen said, when she first heard the foster mother describe what she did in order to live with the buttons guy. You should sew the buttons back on with fishing lines so that he can't twist them off, Baxter said. And the host mom reacted with something like a fence. No, no, that's the worst thing you could do. This man needs to twist the buttons off. It helps him to twist the buttons off every day. You don't understand, she explained to Baxter. In order to accept the mentally ill into your home, you have to accept their oddness and their idiosyncrasies. You've got to let them take their buttons off. Being with them, she said, is the first step in being able to do anything for them. She said to Baxter, being with them is the first step to be, being able to do anything for them. The power of with, the most successful treatment in all the world for the mentally ill had to do with with. And the, arc, the author of the article writes that that is very much tied to the Christmas message, is it not? With. With comes before for in the Bible. Jesus is with us before he does anything for us. Matthew 1.23 quotes the prophecy of Isaiah announcing the coming of Jesus, and this is what it says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God personally comes to be with us in the God-man, Jesus Christ. We tend to think of Christ's mission as for and not with. And to be sure, for is at the heart of the gospel. You know, when you think about Paul and his summary of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He died for our sins. Or consider Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For is at the heart of the gospel message. But the message of Christmas is with. That God comes to be with us 
in Jesus before he dies for us. He is with us in order to act for us. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we don't have a record of people calling Jesus by the name Emmanuel. I'm assuming when Mary called him in for dinner, she called him Jesus. Jesus come in, not Emmanuel. We don't have record of him being called that. He was called Jesus. And yet Emmanuel is a name, a name also assigned to Christ because it is his name in the sense that it fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. He fulfills all that the Old Testament pointed to, that God would personally come and dwell with his people. Jesus fulfills that. Emmanuel is a, is a glorious name because it signifies, as Caleb referred to earlier, the, the hope of every person, the longing of every human heart to be with God because you were created to know God. You were created to be in relationship with God. You were initially created to be with God. And Emmanuel, the name, tells us God's purpose and mission in sending Jesus to be God with us. This is what we are created for. And the message of Christmas is that God has come to us, not that we have reached up to God. The message of Christmas is not that we, by our good works, by our behavior, by our performance, have somehow reached up to God, that we've been inspired by Jesus to do good things and to give of ourselves as Jesus gave. And because of our good actions, because of our uh, heart and love for others, now God accepts us. That is not the message of Christmas. It's that God has come to us. The natural religious inclination of every heart is for us to reach up to God. The natural inclination is to do good in order to make ourselves acceptable. And perhaps you're looking into Christianity, perhaps you're from a different religious background, or perhaps you're considering different philosophies or different religions. And whether you believe Christianity is true or not, this you must agree is true that the claims of Christianity are categorically different than the claims of every other religion. Christianity makes a claim that is unique uh, among all religions. It's, it's unusual among all religions because all religions essentially um, say something similar, that if you obey the teachings of the religion, if you embrace the practices of the religion, if you honor the rules of the religion, adequately, then God will reward you. God will reward you now, and God will reward you in the afterlife if the religion has an afterlife. But Christianity has a different approach altogether. I once read a children's book, because that's my speed, that's my level. I read a children's book about the story of the world from a Christian perspective, and it summarized the story of the world in three short little phrases. God made it, we broke it, Jesus fixes it. This is the message of the Bible. Jesus comes to fix everything. That is, he comes to renew and to restore and ultimately to make all things new. Because you see, the world was created 
perfectly. It wasn't broken as it is now. God created a perfect world for the first couple, Adam and Eve, and they lived in a perfect relationship with God. They lived in a perfect relationship with one another. They lived in a perfect relationship with their environment, their work, and their, uh, the garden where they lived. But rather than obey God, they chose to disobey God, to do what they wanted to do, and what happened as a result of their rebellion, their defiance, is that death entered the world, as God promised it would, and with death comes every broken thing imaginable. Our world is broken. On that, almost everyone agrees, everyone who's paying any kind of attention to what's going on in the world and in our own personal lives, realize that the world is broken. And this is all rooted in ultimately in the first couple's rebellion against God, and we have inherited that, and along the way, we have all done what we want to do in the world, acting for our own best interest. Now, after Adam and Eve sinned, immediately, almost immediately, God promised that he would bring a solution, that he would send someone one day who would restore all things and make all things new. And he began that process by creating, making a people for himself, uh, the people's name is Israel, the nation of Israel. And from Israel, he promised that he would bring a savior. The word savior means, you can think of it as a rescuer. Someone who brings salvation is one who, someone who brings rescue to those in need. And he promised that he would send a rescuer who would come and reverse the curse of sin and death. And at Christmas, that promise is fulfilled. The rescuer has come, Jesus has come, and he is called by the name Emmanuel, God with us. And this is how Christianity fundamentally differs. We broke it, but we can't fix it. The solution comes from outside of humanity. The solution comes from Jesus. Only Jesus can, and only Jesus does bring rescue, does bring restoration. He comes to us, and the good news of Christmas is that God is with us. He is not only with us, but he came to act for us on our behalf. And that's why um, in Matthew 1, 21, verse 21, earlier verse from what we read before, in verse 21 it says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name by which Jesus, the proper name by which he is called Jesus, means the Lord saves. And while the people of Israel were expecting a savior to come, a king to come who would rescue them, they weren't expecting this. The angel's instruction is name him Jesus, the Lord saves, because he's going to come and save his people from their sins. Their hope, their longing is that God would send a political leader that's the hope of many in the world today as well, that he would send a political leader that would free Israel. They were under the thumb, under the oppressive uh, reign of the Roman Empire. In their own land that God had given them, they were under Roman rule. And so they all expected that God would bring a king that would free them, that the rescue, that the salvation was a political salvation, a warrior who would get Rome off their backs. And yet the angel explains that's not what Jesus will bring, at least not in his first coming. He will in his second. But in his first coming, that is not what he brings. He's going to rather bring freedom from the oppression of sin. He's going to forgive 
sin. He's going to free us from our sins. And he's going to do that by dying in our place for our sins on the cross and to be raised on the third day. He's resurrected to new life so that everybody that responds to this truth, to this message with faith, that is, believes in Jesus as the Savior, as God in the flesh, who has come to us and saves us. Everyone who believes that, everyone who repents of sin, turns from things that God says we are not to do, that dishonor him, and also turn from things that are our efforts to reach him. I don't know when you hear a repentance of sin what you think. Most people appropriately think repent of things that are offensive to God. But one of the things that is chiefly offensive to God is for you to try to reach God by your own good behavior, by your own morality. That is offensive. Jesus didn't need to come if you could do that. But you can't do that. So we must repent of our religious activity which seeks to make us acceptable to God. We must repent not only from things that are blatantly uh, rebellious to God, but we must repent from things as well that are our attempt to earn merit and approval from God. It's to repent from all those and say, Jesus, you alone are the Savior. I cannot save myself, and it's acknowledging I do need saving, for I am a sinful man, a sinful woman, a sinful young person. And so we acknowledge that, and you can do that today. If you've never done that, I would urge you to do that, to come to Christ today, to realize that you are lost without him, that you are in peril and danger without him, and that your only hope to, be, to know God and to be right with God is through Jesus. And he sent Jesus for you. It's, he is a gift to be received, not a program of self-help for you to follow. He is a gift to be received. And if you receive him, the Bible makes clear that he will give you new life, eternal life. The Bible makes clear. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast him out, never cast her out. If you come to Jesus, he will, by faith, he will receive you. He gives that promise to us. Some of us in the room that don't know him, in this Christmas, the greatest gift of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd urge you to receive that gift through repentance and faith. Many of us in the room do know him. And if you do know Jesus, I want to encourage you this Christmas to celebrate this little word with, that little word in the center, the little word that's written in cursive, if you're young, you can't even read that because we don't do that anymore, right? But uh, it's the word with, with, God with us. He is with us before he is for us. Personalize it. He's not just with us. If you're a believer, you can say, he is with me. To remember that this Christmas, he is with me. Realize that he has come for you and he is with you. And the message of Christmas, the in, what we call incarnation, it's a big theological word, which really means God becomes human. That's what it means. Jesus, fully God, fully human. The message of the incarnation at Christmas is that God has come to us. And because he has come to us, get this believer, because he has come to us, he can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses. And that's not just some sentimental thought that I wanted to share so you'd feel good on the inside. That is the word of God. That's not my language. That's the Bible. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. This is astounding. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. Again, this is, this is the message of Christmas and is unlike any other religion. We do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus here, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is this promise that because our high priest became man, that he is able to sympathize. He understands your weaknesses. He experienced temptation himself. Though he never sinned, he didn't give in to the temptation, but he understands the onslaught of temptation. He understands what it's like to live in a fallen world and all that brings. And because of his humanity, divine absolutely, but also human, because of his humanity, he understands us. And so we should come to him in confidence this passage says, to receive mercy in our time of need. I don't know about you, but I, I, at this time of the year, all the time, but this time of the year, I see I need God's mercy. I need God's grace in my life afresh. And I'm to come to him to receive that, he says. Jesus came to you, therefore in your time of need, approach him, believer, and receive the grace and mercy that you need. He's with you, and he invites you to him. Let me ask you, where is it that you need his help today? Where do you need his help in this season? Please know he is with you. He is with you in your loneliness. You know, this is one of the loneliest times of the year for so many people. And, and I think one of the reasons is just the deception that we look around and it looks like everyone's having a beautiful uh, Hallmark Christmas and that's only because you're not in their house seeing what's really going on. You're just seeing them out front. But be that as it may, we can look around and think everybody's having this wonderful experience, and yet I feel alone. Maybe you're single and alone. Maybe you didn't see yourself single at this stage of your life. Maybe you're married, but you're in a struggling marriage, and you feel alone today as well. The message of Christmas to you, dear believer, is that we worship Emmanuel, God with us. That he is with us in our loneliness. He is with us. He, he knows that experience. Jesus was alone. And many times, even at his death, he was essentially alone. All of his disciples left him, but one. And he is with us in our loneliness through his word, through his presence, through his spirit, perhaps through his people, he is with us. He's with you in your broken relationships. Most all of us have some relationships that are damaged in our life, some challenging relationships. Most all of us have that. And sometimes that really comes to the surface. Broken relationships, damaged relationships. That comes to the surface at this time of the year. Many of us feel it at this time of the year, unlike any other time. We do fine during most of the year and at Christmas because it means we're going to gather with someone, family member with whom we have a strained relationship. It means we're going to remember that we have a broken relationship with the family member we no longer speak with. It's going to be a reminder of our divorce. It's going to be a reminder of a friend that we're no longer close to. It's going to be a reminder of how our parents view us, or how we view our parents, how we view our kids. And so this is a time when relational challenges surface, and they are spotlighted at Christmas. And the temptation for each of us can be to slip into unforgiveness, to live with a heart of bitterness towards those we're separated from. Sometimes it can be 
uh, a time to really give in to self-pity. We look at others, maybe even others in the church, and say, I wish I had what they, don't ha- what they have and I don't have. And we give in to self-pity. Sometimes we give in to pride, and we just say, so-and-so did me wrong, or so-and-so's ignoring me, and the walls just go up to protect our own hearts. But this is a season when God is with us, and Jesus knows the temptations that I just mentioned, and yet he never gives in to them. He never gave in to them, the Bible says, and he calls us to come to him to find grace and mercy in our time of need. And at the risk of oversimplifying complicated relationships, I'm not just saying wave a magic wand and reconciliation comes, I'm not saying that, but I am saying the place to go with heartache over relationships, the place to go is the Savior who sympathizes with our weaknesses and provides mercy and grace in our time of need. He's with you when you lack resources. Maybe you feel the financial squeeze this time of year. Can be apparent this time of year. God is Emmanuel with us, the God who provides for us. He's with you when you're discouraged because of the pain of life. Some of us are facing a Christmas and you go, here's another Christmas where the same chronic illness, chronic pain, undiagnosed disease is with me, untreatable, uh, evidently untreatable uh, um, illness, sickness, whatever it is, is in your life, and you're reminded of the pain this time of the year, or the pain that's in your own soul. There are some of us in the room who will experience great pain in their souls in the form of grief this Christmas, because a family member or a friend that you celebrated with last year died this year, and they will not be at the table with you feasting at Christmas Day. And it's a, it's a season of grief for you. God with us, God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's in us. And one of the names of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is the comforter. Actually, the very work that the Spirit does is gives comfort. Now, he can bring that comfort through people. 2 Corinthians says, we comfort others with the com- by, by the comfort that we've received from God. But it's ultimately from God himself. Even if it comes wrapped in another person, it's the gift of God is comfort. And this year, while it doesn't mean that you won't grieve and that you won't cry, that's appropriate and natural if you lost someone this year. It doesn't mean that all of that is gone, but it does mean that in your suffering, God is with you. He is with you in your grief. His presence is there to comfort you in your sorrows. He's with you in your temptation. That's exactly what the scripture said that I read, that he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Sometimes this time of year raises the temptation level at all kinds, uh, in all kinds of ways. He's with you in your temptation. He's with you in your suffering to strengthen and comfort you. I don't mean to be glib at all. I hope it doesn't come across that way. The sufferings you experience are real. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ is more real than anything or anyone imaginable. And his promises of the scripture are worth our receiving and our hanging on to this year, coming to a throne of grace. That means in the midst of our pain, mentally, maybe even verbally, coming to Jesus and expressing our need, expressing our brokenness, and inviting his comfort and in his presence, reading his word, God who is with us 
Emmanuel and strengthening our souls, not running to other temporary <clears throat> sources, not using Christmas as a time to run to the bottle or, or back to the prescription meds or to pornography or to food or feasting's appropriate, but you know what I'm saying, running to food as a source of comfort. It's not going to those places that provide no lasting comfort. It's going to Jesus who is God with us and trusting him. Well, God is not only with us in this life, but uh, the Bible says, uh, at the beginning of Matthew, it says he's Emmanuel, God with us. At the end of Matthew, in the Great Commission, Jesus says, I am with you until the end of the age. So there's the promise he's always with us. And then the Bible concludes with the great hope of God with us, that God is with us in a new heaven and a new earth for the believer. Uh, and we experience his presence beyond our imagination. And I want to hold this hope in front of you with whatever you're facing, wherever you need God's presence, wherever you need the promise, God with me in Jesus, wherever you need that today, I want you to hear these words from Scripture, from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. This is the hope of eternity for all of us in Christ. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a day that will be, brothers and sisters. What a day that will be. It's appropriate to applaud God's word, his promise. What a day that will be when God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. Such intimate care, such presence, such love, such mercy for his people. That's what awaits all of us. And Christmas is the truth that Jesus comes to be with us. As we receive him, he will always be with us, and he will one day return for us where we will spend eternity in a new heaven and a new earth ever before him with no crying, no pain, no suffering forever and ever. This is the good news of Emmanuel, God with us. And as we close the service today, we're going to receive communion. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.